think we all agree that there is no greater comfort or security known to mankind than to know that you belong to the Lord. It is the greatest place to be, the greatest situation to have. One of the messages that God had lay, has laid on my heart for some several years that I've been sharing with you is that if we would take God seriously, He would take us seriously. And I'm encouraged by, um, by how we as a congregation are responding to that message, responding to that vision. I believe God is taking us seriously because we are taking Him seriously. The fruit and the results that are around us, that are encompassing us, that that God is entrusting to us are directly related to our trust in Him, our dependence upon Him, our commitment to Him, our devotion to Him. And so I'm encouraged by that. As we've been singing this morning and worshiping God and praising Him and, and moving into a particular theme and atmosphere, it has been related to the idea that that in a room even this size, a small audience like this, there's filled with stories of people who have been innocently victimized and traumatized by life, by the wickedness of people. Long-standing stories in your childhood of, of abuse and, and horrible evil things that have happened. Victims of complete miscarriages of justice are represented in this room this morning. One person walks away from a so-called life commitment and leaves you holding nothing but unrealized dreams. I could go on and on. There are so many potential examples or or illustrations of the hurt that people do to one another. Now, the long protracted times in your life where it seems as if God has forgotten about you or has abandoned you. And I think lots of people can identify with that feeling in here, whether it, as Pastor Steve mentioned, whether it's economic, a job situation, a no-job situation, a family distress, a, a physical sickness, hurt, pain. Someone's hurt you deeply. And the um, situation didn't necessarily go away quickly. Some of you are, are there this morning. You're, you're in this. You're wondering, where is God? He's, he's left me. I, I, thought, I thought Pastor had told me that he will never leave me, he will never forsake me. I, I thought that's what the Bible says. I don't feel like that. I feel forgotten. And it's worse when you seem forgotten when you've been wrongfully mistreated. It's just so unfair. The Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter 2.20, mentioned this to the church. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. You know, the Bible tells us that 
It's not if you're going to feel forgotten or forsaken or wrongfully used or misused or mistreated or abused. It's when. Because he goes on to say in this text, to this you were called. You say, Rick, you're not, um, you're not helping the situation all that much. It will happen. But this morning I want to talk to you about the why. I think if we can just understand the why, if we can understand the what to do, it will be helpful. I I trust it will be helpful to you today. I I wonder if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis uh, chapter 40. I want to cover two chapters this morning and... uh, in doing so, I'm not going to read through the entire chapters. And by the way, I want to encourage you for next week, you need to read five chapters before you even come here. You need to read from chapter 42 to 40, well, from chapter 42 on to the end of the book. Because if you don't, I'll have to read it all to you and that would just be the sermon time. So you need to come prepared. You need to know the story. We want to, it's, um, it's the way this story unfolds. There's a message over long protracted descriptions. And today I want to look at what to do when it seems you've been put on hold for the rest of your life. Because that's what it always feels like when you're in a tough time, doesn't it? Is this going to be the way it is for the rest of my life? Because I feel like maybe it is. So what to do when it feels like you've been put on hold by God for the rest of your life? That's what I want to look at this morning. And by the way, the context of the whole Joseph story is dreams. The theme is dreams. That's not the point. The point isn't the dreams, but the the story is about dreams. In fact, um, if I were to rewrite the NIV, not the scriptural part, uh, mind you, but if I were to rewrite the headings that you get in chapters, I I would put at the front of chapter 40, the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. Not just the cupbearer and the baker. It's again dreams. It's the dreams of Joseph. It's the dreams of the butler and the baker and the pharaoh. And and, and on it goes in the story. It's about dreams. The whole section of the Joseph story is about dreams. Not, by the way, the dreams of, of, of the troubled human mind, but God's dreams. Given to insight, given to give insight into God's plans. Now, um, I think some of us would be quick to say, then, if they're God's dreams, why doesn't He just fast forward the fulfillment of all of this stuff? Why so much human drama? Why, why so much emotional drama? Well, because that's real life, and because God is on a mission. And that's the point today. In your life, when you feel like you've been put on hold, I can tell you for sure that this story is going to encourage us and assure us that God is on a mission in your life. That's what we want to discover. It's more, by the way, than just simple leadership preparation. There's far more as we dig deeper here into this text teaches us about God and what he's like. How he wants to shape our lives, enrich our lives, deepen our lives before he hands over the dream. Now, um, dreams are not 
common throughout the scriptures. In fact, you find dreams in Genesis, Daniel, and Matthew. Not much else. You'll see visions elsewhere, but not dreams. And although dreams may become the means by which God speaks to men and women, and he does, and and in places in the world, God is speaking to people through dreams. He's drawing people to himself through dreams. Here's the key. Visionary dreaming can become the way men or women stop listening to God speak to them. A good God dream starts out well. But it may become more significant in your life than God himself. That's the issue. It's a great assignment. It's given to you by God. But somewhere along the journey, there's the potential in all of us that the dream may eclipse God himself. And God is on mission in your life to do something about that. Right-sizing each man and woman of God so the dream will never be the destination. God is always our destination. Into the heart of God is where he wants us to be. Dreams may be a vehicle. They're never the destination. Pastor Steve um, brought to my attention the story of Phil Vischer this week. You know Phil Vischer? How many know Phil, that name, Phil Vischer? Yes, yeah, some of you do. He's the uh, creator of VeggieTales. You know VeggieTales? How many of you know VeggieTales? You know that. Oh, yeah, we know VeggieTales. Phil Vischer is an interesting story. An interesting story of the work of God on mission in a man's life who had a big God dream that he would use animation to get the message of God into children's hearts. That's a good God dream. That's a great cause. In early 1992, Phil Vischer was down to his last $10, which he used to buy a bag of dog food to feed his dog. That ain't the way I'd handle my last $10, I can tell you that right now. Somehow he found a cashier's check hidden away for 400 bucks and he and his wife got to eat for a few days. By 1993, one year later, Phil Vischer had made his first VeggieTale production with money that some friends gave to him. Ten years later, Phil Vischer was a rich man. By 2003, VeggieTales had sold more than 25 million videos, had gained millions of adoring fans, and had grown a 210-employee animation studio and entertainment company. Phil was on his way to rival Walt Disney. That was where he thought God's dream wanted to take him. In 2003, as I said, Phil was a rich man. In 2004, he was broke. A series of bad ideas and mismanagement and 
lawsuits from rags to riches to rags. At the time of his economic demise, an old family friend was preaching a sermon. And the message started out with this question. What does it mean when God gives you a dream and that dream comes to life and then the dream dies? The speaker went on to say, God wants to see if you can live without the dream, depending only on Him for meaning. For so long, Vischer himself admits, in retrospect, he had been pursuing cultural influence when he should have been pursuing God. Wow. What a personal diagnosis. And I wonder, as I thought through the Joseph story, convinced that it's more than just some sort of leadership paradigm, that surely there's a, a more significant meaning for all of us as we understand and study the life of Joseph. And it seems to me that in looking at Phil Vischer's story and in looking at this again and reading it again and again and again and looking at what God is deeply doing here, I am fully convinced that while God had a dream for Joseph... And Joseph was to pursue that dream. The fundamental reality of what's going on in this Joseph story is to make sure that Joseph never finds the dream his destiny, but rather the living God. And that's the message for each one of us in whatever scenario we're in. And when you're in the uh, time of feeling forsaken or abandoned or put on hold... Can I say to you that I think you ought to consider deeply the possibilities that God is shaping your life so that nothing, no one, eclipses the greatness and significance and importance of God in your life. So with that in mind... Can you live without the dream, depending only on God, our Father and our God, as we turn our attention this morning to this very significant question, an important uh, reality of how you build us. I pray, Father, that you might lift up your people, encourage them. Lord, for those who are in a place of holding, in a place of feeling forsaken, a place of feeling abandoned, of abused, of being mistreated, uh, miscarriages of of injustice, miscarriages of justice, oh, Father, I pray this morning that you will speak powerfully to us about how to live in that moment to the praise of the glory of God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Taking the dreamer deep into the heart of the dream maker. As far as Joseph was concerned, you know, if you were here last week and 
You remember the temptation story and, and uh, that his, his boss's wife was tempting him every day of his life. Every day he came into the job. And finally one day she grabs him by the coat and he runs out of her arms and leaves his coat behind. As far as Joseph was concerned, he thinks the dream is over, don't you think? I mean, there, this thing isn't going to turn out well. There's no way this story is going to work for me. I've for sure lost my job. My way up to the top is over. And for all he was, as far as he was concerned, I'm probably going to die within the next couple of days. I'm going to be executed. How unjust. I thought it was God's dream. It seemed like such a good idea that, that somehow, somewhere in my life, ten people at least were going to be bowing to me. That was the dream. And now, it seems like it's gone at the end of Genesis chapter 39. By the way, there was nothing wrong with the dream because it was God's dream. God, the dream maker, is making sure the dreamer knew the difference between the dream and God in his life. So, um, this may explain your story or my story. In the place of holding, when you feel forgotten, there's some key lessons that I want to pull out of these two chapters, 40 and 41, that we can learn about God, lessons we can learn about God. Notice here at the end of verse 39, or chapter 39, verse 21, or just before verse 21, but by, while Joseph was there in the prison, he didn't lose his life. He got thrown into prison. The king's prison, by the way. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You know, God seems to be acting all around Joseph. He's, he's uh, moving ahead the lives of all these pagans around him, but seems to be silent to the prayers and the cries of Joseph. Or is he? What I like about this is, um, while Joseph got thrown in prison, he clearly identified himself as a diligent worker and had a good attitude. Can I say the first lesson to me is don't pout when you aren't where you want to be or deserve to be. You know, when, you got a, when you're in a holding place, when you feel forgotten, when you feel forsaken, when you feel like, hey, the world is turned against me and I, this isn't right. It's not right that I should be in prison. Well, you can pine and pout or you can produce. And that's what Joseph, exactly what Joseph did. God hadn't really forgotten about him or misplaced him. It says right in the text, the Lord was with him and gave him success. Can you have success when you feel forgotten and forsaken and abused? Absolutely. We know what he didn't know at the time, that this was all a setup. 
What kind of a setup? Well, keep reading. Sometime later, the cupbearer or the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. So Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. I guess it was skunky wine and burnt scones and a bad tummy ache by the king of Egypt and um, two guys lose their jobs. I think that's what's going on here. He just wasn't sure which one made him feel sick. Was it the butler who brought the skunky wine or the uh, baker who brought the burnt scones? And these two guys just happen to land in the prison where Joseph is. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were being held in prison, Shazam, Shazam, they have a dream. The same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. And when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? You know, you, you, may, be, you may not uh, enjoy the circumstance you're in, but can I encourage you by Joseph's example here that you're on the job even when it's not the job you want to be on? Starts networking with these guys. Talking to them, getting involved in their lives, relating to them. If you've been faithful to the Lord and righteous in your life and and have been living your life waiting on the Lord, He has you currently right where He wants you to be. Even if it's not where you want to be. And so he networks. And they come to him and they say, verse 8, we both had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. Now I'm trying to think what would be going through Joseph's mind at this point. Oh, you did, did you? Yeah, I had some dreams one day. Didn't go very well for me. So don't bother telling me about your dreams. Because my last time I got involved in that kind of ministry, it kind of went south. So I'm, I've sort of decided to take a, a vacation from ministry. I, I'm, it's not going well for me. I've been forsaken. I'm in prison. I've been abused, miscarriage of justice, all that kind of stuff. I think I'm just going to sit it out, if you don't mind. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Because that's what I do. I know God. You don't know God. God interprets dreams. I'm the only one who can help you. I'm the only one who understands this ministry. So you stay involved in ministry even though it hasn't always gone well for you because your dreams belong to God. I'm the interpreter here in prison. I'm the one who's been given uh, the giftedness to do this ministry. So even though I'm not feeling like it's the right place to be, even though I don't want to be in this place, it's not my dream job. 
I'm still doing ministry. Because it's about God in my life. And the dreams belong to God. So then Joseph says to them, uh, or he goes on, so the chief cupbearer tells Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. Three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me, show me kindness, mention me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Now at this point, the chief baker, he likes Joseph's ministry. And so crowds attracted to his church because he likes to hear what Joseph has to say. And here's the moment. Chief Baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation. He says to Joseph, I too had a dream. And on my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. This is my least favorite part of the Joseph story because a baker gets killed in this thing. You understand what I'm telling you? This, this, this part of the Bible is one I try to avoid. Now, it was at this moment that Joseph has to make a decision. Do I tell this guy what he wants to hear? Because I need double endorsement to get me out of this prison? Or do I tell him what God really means by this dream? Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer, the chief baker, in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer cup to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Listen, here's what Joseph did and here's a lesson for each of us. Value truth-telling even if it appears to put your dream in jeopardy. Always value truth-telling. What qualifies a man or a woman to, be, uh, to, to, to represent God as a, as a leader, to speak for God? What, what qualifies a, a leader for more courageous assignments? What qualifies a leader to lead at all? Mark this down well. If you're looking for popularity in life, you won't be able to be a truth teller. Truth tellers aren't trying to win friends or be loved by telling people what they want to hear. They are representing God's truth. And sometimes it's hard. And sometimes it hurts. 
And sometimes it's not what you want to hear. And sometimes it's not your way. It's God's way. It's what God wants. A leader would rather be right by God than liked by men. His brothers and his father, he told the truth. To the baker, the butler, he told the truth. And later on in the story, to Pharaoh, he's going to tell the truth. And why do you think God could entrust him with the assignments he gave to him? And then we read this in verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Oh, come on. Come on. How unjust. And then the next line, there's a lot of white space between that verse and the next verse. And you know what that white space is all about? Two full years. There's no question that the writer of the text, inspired by the living God, inserted that word full on purpose. Two, not just two years. Not just part of years. Two full years. You know, Joseph was thinking, hey, I may be in this deal for another couple of weeks, but I'm going to get out of here because I've told this guy the, the, the great, great exploits of God. He's going to go and tell, he's going to go and tell Pharaoh, and maybe, maybe at the outside, two weeks, and I'll be out of this prison. Two full years forgotten. Do you know how long two years feels? Some of you are saying, man, I have been in the trough for eight months. What happens? Joseph apparently keeps serving in prison. And then Pharaoh has a dream. Listen, the dream, quickly, the dream, he sees uh, seven fat cows grazing, coming up out of the Nile River, and he sees, then he sees the ugliest cows he's ever seen, seven ugly cows who come up, and they eat the seven fat cows, and and then he sees some fat heads of grain, and the and skinny heads, seven skinny heads of grain, and the skinny heads of grain eat the fat heads of grain. It's like, what's this? And as I'm thinking here, God has just fashioned the need for Joseph's ministry again. Surprise, surprise. Because as we read on, we find out he falls asleep. He has this dream. In the morning, verse 8, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer says to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. 
Pharaoh was once angry with his servants and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the garden. Each of us had a dream the same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us and a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position and the other man was hanged. Did you catch that? The dreams turned out exactly as he had interpreted them to us, the good news story and the bad news story. Because he told the truth, he stood out in the mind of this man he networked with. If he had have told the baker what he wanted to hear, he would have been no different than the magicians who were around the camp who couldn't tell the truth from one thing from the next. He would, have, would not have stood out. He would not have been mentioned to the Pharaoh. He would not have been called upon. But here's the deal. What if he had have given up? One year... 11 months and 29 days, 30 days. 30 days has September, April, June, and November. All the rest have 31. Okay, 30. What if he had have given up just when the dream was coming back to life? Never give up on God, even when the dream seems desperately unlikely. Listen, the greatest peril time of your life is when repeated disappointments are encompassing you day in and day out. That's, that's the most dangerous and perilous time in your life. Be careful then. God had not given up on Joseph. God had not forsaken Joseph. God knew exactly where Joseph was. God was fashioning his prison break. And by the way, never allow people to shape your life into disappointment. That's what people are. Disappointed people disappoint. Look always to the Lord. He's not disappointing. He is disassembling you so that he can reassemble you to be into him only. He's always at work remaking you. I found this cool story about um, Thomas Edison in terms of optimism, the kind of people you want to be around. It's, it's written by his son, Charles, and from a book entitled The Electric Thomas Edison. He writes this, One December evening, the cry of fire echoed through the plant. Spontaneous combustion had broken out in the film room. Within moments, all the packing compounds, celluloid for records, film, and other flammable goods had gone up with a whoosh. This was his father's business. When I couldn't find my father, I became concerned. Was he safe? With all his assets going up in smoke, would his spirit be broken? He was 67. No age to begin anew. Then I saw him in the plant yard running toward me. Where's mommy? shouted. Go get her. Tell her to get her friends. They'll never see a fire like this again. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, that's the kind of guy you want to be in the dumps with. Seriously. 
And, and the, it, the story continues. At 5.30 the next morning, when the fire was barely under control, he called his employees together and announced, We're rebuilding! One man was told to lease all the machine shops in the area, another to obtain a wrecking crane from the Erie Railroad Company. company. Then almost as an afterthought, he added, Oh, by the way, anybody know where you can get some money? <laughs> Later on, he explained, We can always make capital out of disaster. We've just cleared out a bunch of old rubbish. We'll build bigger and better on these ruins. With that, he rolled up his coat for, for a pillow, curled up on a table, and immediately fell asleep. That's the kind of guy you want to be forsaken with. That's the kind of guy you want to be abandoned with. That's the kind of guy you want to be forgotten with. God knows where you are. You know, God never loses heart no matter how your situation is. God's not ever wringing his hand saying, oh, he's abandoned. I don't know how I'm ever going to help him out. God's fashioning something. He's making something. He's moving something forward. And so he comes and he presents himself to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says to Joseph in verse 15, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, I know, I know how I'd feel like being when I showed up for that interview. Resume in hand, you know. Going to the king of Egypt. This is my one shot. This is my, my one moment. And he's believing in me. He thinks that I've got something special going. He thinks I'm really great. I'm going to tell him that. I am great. Yes, I can interpret dreams. Yes, I don't know why I was ever in jail. I don't know why anybody left me there. I've been so wasted for all of these years. Listen, I I can tell you right now that if you bring me on, it's going to change around here. I'll take care of everything. Instead, he says, I can't do it. That's not how you start an interview. I cannot do it, Joseph said. You'd think Pharaoh would say, well, forget it, off with his head. I mean, that's what the magicians, I've already had people who can't do it. I need somebody who's a can-do person. You notice what he says? But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. You know what I learned from Joseph here? Not to take credit for something God has given you, ever. All the smart guys in Egypt, they couldn't handle it. Simply put, the scriptures tell us in the New Testament, the mind of the Spirit of God cannot be discerned by the mind of the natural man. So never ramp up your resume by stealing credit from God. He knows how to make you quite indispensable. You know, sometimes we think, I need this so badly, I'm going to have to help God. I'm going to have to hide my faith. I'm going to have to hide because if they hear that that I'm a follower of the living Christ, surely they'll never hire me. They'll never want me. They'll think I'm soft-headed and stupid. So I'll just pretend that I'm like them. I'm one of them. No, Joseph shows his colors the first moment he meets the king of Egypt. You'd think that he might have had some sort of attitude going. I've been forsaken and forgotten and allowed to be abused and and mistreated. I'm not giving God any credit. No, no. He steps forward and gives God all the glory. 
I can't do it. But God can. I think Joseph's impoverished circumstances had served to allow God to enrich his internal world to such a degree that he freed himself to be God's man and finally quite usable by God. I'm nothing special, he says. But I can tell you what, if you're looking for magic or compromise or some, somebody who'll just tell you what you want to hear, I'm not your man. That's a mistake way too many of us make. We run around from counselor to counselor trying to find somebody who'll tell us exactly what we want to hear. Find somebody who will tell you the truth and you've found somebody worth gold to you. That's what Pharaoh wanted. He wanted somebody. He had enough of these guys making up stories around him. He wanted someone who would tell him the truth that would come from the God of heaven. And can you see this? Here's a pagan king recognizing the God of heaven. And once freed from oneself, there's no need any longer for false humility. But by the way, I want to quickly point out that, that once he's established that God is the, is the be-all and end-all of all of this, and, and he's the big deal in my life, he then does go on and give Pharaoh a sampling of his wares. Verse 33. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Listen, Joseph was abandoned and abused and forsaken, but he wasn't dumb. He puts at the very front line of his resume, I'm a child of the living God. Anything I am or ever will be is because of God. But by the way, I do have some abilities that God has given to me. And here they are. And so Pharaoh, it says here, the plans seem good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, is it possible that we could find anyone like this man in the kingdom? This is kind of the, when you get to a story and you get the high point, this is the moment. Can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the Spirit of God. What is faith? Faith is believing that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And now the pagan king is seeing that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's seen faith lived out. Then Pharaoh says to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. I'll put you in charge. Now let me quickly wrap this up. Bev We'll move through this thing quickly. Oh, it's not Bev up there. Somebody else. Whatever. <laughs> Who's that? Okay, Nicole. <laughs> I knew it was a girl, all right? You come up here with the blinding lights in your eyes. Once the dream is right-sized in a person's life, in your life, in my life, the dream maker will regularly display on the outside the incredible progress he has made on the inside. 
As far as Pharaoh is concerned, if God, the God, is revealing this stuff through you, Joseph, you're my guy. And when God is finally more important than the dream, all kinds of impressive things happen. What I find ironic is that the pagans notice what his own brothers despised. Don't you hate that? Don't you hate that when the, the people who don't love God recognize God more in you than your brothers and sisters in Christ? The pagans notice what the brothers despise. You know why the brothers didn't notice it? And the pagan did? And this is, a, this is sort of a, an aside Costs nothing extra. I'll just throw this in. Why you aren't discerning about the work of God, the things of God, if you aren't, is because you got too much pride in your life. Those guys wanted it for themselves and were asking the question, why should he get it? That's why they weren't qualified to know the mind of God. He goes from the pit and a prison to preeminence gets a company credit card gets a corner office gets a six-figure salary a limo driver you can read it it's all there and he gets the chief counsel's daughter for his wife and now more than 10 people are bowing down to joseph And then he has two sons, two half-Egyptian sons. Names them Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh means God has made me forget. Ephraim means God has made me fruitful. There's a lesson for us there. He chooses to leave his past behind so that he can exalt God in the present. Far too many of God's people have still got themselves locked into a prison of past abuse, past hurt, past harm, past forsakenness, past abandonment, and have missed the prison break that God has given to you today. And so he says by naming his kid, hey, God has made me forget. I've forgiven and I've forgotten and I've moved on. God has made me fruitful right now and I exalt God now for where I am right today. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul taught? Forgetting what is behind and looking to what is in front. I press on to the high calling for which God has called me. And one final, one final observation. He goes about the towns and he collects extra grain for the lean years of famine. Famine, seven years of good years, seven years of famine. He collects 20% of the take each year for seven years. And what does he do? He keeps it in each of the cities that have produced the grain, the wheat, the rye, barley, whatever. 
What did he learn in his lean years? What did he learn in the years of being hurt? What did he learn in the years where God was remaking him? He learned to be fair. He learned to care. He learned to be concerned about people. He learned about justice. He learned to, 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 stri- or to, to push away any bribery or favoritism. You wonder sometimes why you're in a pit, why you're in a place of forsaken, why you're in a place of abandonment, why you're in a place of what seems like injustice. God is reshaping your heart to be a minister of the gospel of Christ. So that when your circumstances are in direct competition with your convictions... And your dreams seem in jeopardy. God is stealing your faith in him alone. And you know, as you go through these two chapters, when it seems like God is, where is God? He was never, ever absent from Joseph. He never, ever forsook Joseph. And and Joseph represents that in, in the many statements he makes throughout this text. Interpretations belong to God. God will give. God has revealed. God has shown. God will do it soon. God has made me forget. God has made me fruitful. And as a result, the Pharaoh says to the people, as God directs him, go to Joseph. Isn't that what you want to hear in your life? When all is said and done, whether you're in the the pit or you're you're in a prison or you're in preeminence. Isn't it that you want God to remake your life and reshape your life so that God can entrust ministry to you and when people need something, God speaks into their minds, go to Joseph, go to Susan, go to Bill, go to Mary. They're the ones who know me. Because the dream maker has made the dreamer into one who depends on God alone in his life.